we are so fortunate. We have more subscribers than any other theater in the country. We have 30,000. We just called to say we've got you. We are going to make hard decisions together, but at the end of the day, um, we are in this, and we will figure it out, and we'll come back strong. I've got this song in my brain, in my brain, and it's the joy. You know, this has been probably the hardest couple of years any of us will experience in a lifetime, and when you see these children that can take a song home and hopefully feel uh, that the world is not as heavy as the rest of us may, um, that's pretty, pretty special. This is the Proco 360 Podcast. I'm Dave Tabor, hosting Proco 360 because I love Colorado and getting to know the leaders of Colorado's most interesting entrepreneurial companies. And a few times a year, I like to take time to feature a successful nonprofit that I think is running sort of entrepreneurially. And today's episode features Janice Sinden, president and CEO of the Denver Center for Performing Arts, a renowned fixture in the community with about $130 million in revenue. Is that about where you are, Janice? That would be really high. Um, that would be a really, really, really awesome year. We, right. we range between 70 and 90 million. All right. So mm-hmm. we'll hope for 130, but go. whether it's 70 million or 90 million now, that was in 2019. But in 2020, the pandemic caused DCPA to shut down completely, losing $100 million. It only survived with the help of the community, donors, a $10 million grant. You know, so. As I was preparing for today's discussion, I mean, I became increasingly curious about how DCPA managed through all this. I mean, maybe it was just sheer force of will, but we'll also discuss some happier topics like how the DCPA selects product to bring to us, where Janice sees trends and entertaining, uh, and how all that's evolving, which seat she gets when she goes to shows. And uh, anyway, so all of that, Janice, it's so great to see you. It's been a long time. Thanks for joining on Proco 360. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So give us your take on sort of an overview of DCPA, the number of venues, visitors, all that kind of thing. Sure. So we are one of the four resident companies at the 12-acre arts complex right next to the convention center. We opened on New Year's Eve 1979, and of the eight theaters on the arts complex, we are in seven of them. The only venue that we share is the Ellie Calkins Opera House with the ballet and the opera. Otherwise, um, we have uh, venues that range from 2,800 seats to 200 seats. And then across the street, we have a children's theater um, that is primarily focused on our, yeah. our youngest audiences. Yeah, 2,800 seats. You know, the biggest, the biggest theater I've been to seen bigger than that. Yeah, yeah, so the Buell has 2,800 yeah. and the Ellie has 2,200. Cool. Now, I, I'm kind of interested in the business of DCPA and where all the money comes from. I mean, it seems like, you know, I'm interested in like this distribution of incomes. If I had a guess, I'd say like 95% of it comes from the big Broadway shows, but that's probably not right. What is it? Yeah, so um, definitely uh, we receive most of our earned income from our Broadway, our presenting line. So we do between 30 and 32 weeks of presented Broadway shows a year, and that generates probably three quarters of our really? budget. Really? So it is a, I mean, those Broadway shows really right. are big. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And then thank um, everyone in the community for the Scientific and Cultural Facilities District. We are one of the Tier 1 institutions, so that's a significant investment in our mission-driven work. And then the rest of it is raised by our philanthropic community. Yeah, and ticket sales, right? So... 
and that's mostly Broadway. So on it our is, yeah. yeah, so yeah, on yeah. our theater company side, we do about eight titles a year, and that only generates about a third of what the budget is for our produced uh, work. Yeah, yeah. So you really are a nonprofit. We really yeah. are a nonprofit. So, well, yes. Would you do? You know, I'm always curious about some of the smaller sure. shows that have like a narrow draw, mm-hmm. and I wonder, like, do you do those to sort of spread your wings? Do you do that try to expose people to more? Do those little ones even make money or is it just about the mission? Sure. So the American theater is dependent on new stories. And so we are so blessed at the Denver Center that we have the Colorado New Play Summit every winter. We welcome hundreds of directors, playwrights, um, actors, artists, and just the enthusiasts of the American theater to join us to really workshop new world premieres. So I I was always curious about that. And I'm going to interrupt you because that I'm always curious about like the new stuff that comes up the new playwrights the new you know the little the little troops and stuff do they do they ever find it seems like all the attention goes like the broadway stuff well let's think about that so right now um a show that came out of our new play summit is called the book of will by lauren gunderson the top playwright in the country Mm. she produced a work with us no one had ever seen it before. Now it's at Oregon Shakespeare Festival, the largest Shakespeare festival in the country. It's at Colorado Shakespeare Festival right now. It's gone on to about 20 other theaters. So the way that a theater like Rent or Jersey Boys or Come From Away actually are born is that they're incubated in a local theater, and then they go on with the love and care and feeding of producers and artists Come to on. make their way to Broadway. Something like Rent really started with yes. like a little troupe. It sure with did. That seated a hundred people in a little place. That's right. Seriously. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is like the farm team for the big time. Have absolutely. Um, and it takes a lot of regional theaters to believe in locally produced work and help nurture it to be so it's, successful. Yeah, so it's like venture capital. I mean, you put sure. money in a hundred things and one of them rises to the top. That's right. And sometimes they're supposed to stay in regional theaters. They're not supposed to go into the Broadway world. Says who? Um, well, you know, it's expensive and you lose, yeah, sometimes yeah. you lose your artistic um, point of view when a lot of commercial investors get involved. Uh, and yeah, so yeah, that yeah, can yeah, be yeah. really tricky for for playwrights. Well, and I would think that commercial investors want something a little more formulaic. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. sometimes. Oh, gosh, you're tactful. No wonder you got this great job. <laughs> so then you also have donors. We do. And there's like naming rights and all mm-hmm. kinds of things. I mean, right. um, that must be fun for you to kind of nurture sure. the, the heavy hitters who really can stroke big checks. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, we just had our first ever capital campaign. We put $57 million into renovating um, several of the theaters on the complex. And from, you know, $50 donations to millions of dollars of donations, they all matter. Uh, We love it when somebody feels like this is where they want to put their investment and make sure that we're here for decades to come. That's cool. Yeah. Hey, all right. I want to switch to this massive topic of surviving the the pandemic. First, I want to remind listeners, this is ProCo 360, named Best Denver Podcast three years running in the last two years, named by Colorado Biz Magazine as the Best Colorado Business Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. My guest today is Janice Sinden, president and CEO of the Denver Center for the Performing Arts. Thanks to our sponsors via technologies. Really appreciate those guys because this is a my website, the Proco 360 website. It's really data heavy. Those guys keep it running fast. 
Uh, Kinsley Meetings, Stephen Allison Kinsley, um, have been sponsors for a while now, our longest running, and they've been talking about since the pandemic has eased, meetings are booming. They're even more complex than ever, so give them a call. Lastly, really appreciate my partnership with Colorado Biz Magazine and excited to expand our audiences together. So go to theproco360.com to check out my sponsors. And now, Janice, I want to get back to this really big and heavy topic about surviving the pandemic because during the fiscal year of 2021, I mentioned DCPA lost a million dollars. hundred million. hundred million dollars. Excuse me. Yes. Um, yet here we are, we're talking about a positive future. Um, and, but still I want to talk about all of that. Is that, does that sound fun? Uh, sounds important. Okay. Important. So <laughs> firstly, talk about the early days when you were faced you know, with this pandemic, you realize you'd actually have to shut down. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so uh, like everyone, especially in the entertainment sector, I think we all were very optimistic that this would be a short shutdown, not an 18-month shutdown. Yeah. So we shut down on Friday, March 13th. We went from about 300 employees to 35 overnight. Wow. Uh, so over the course of time, um, we just had to um, really furlough so many employees and uh, cancel and reschedule most of the shows into the future. And um, as the, the weeks and months went on, uh, we learned a lot. We learned a lot about our employees. Um, I'm so proud of our board for supporting uh, benefits for our furloughed mm -hmm. employees the entire time wow. we yeah. were shut down. I mean, this was a health and mental health pandemic, and so we needed to make sure folks had access to um, to medical care. Um, but, uh, you know, we're resilient. And what I am so proud of the organization in doing is trying to figure out other ways to reach audience. Um, we told a lot of stories. We featured a lot of artists. Um, and we really reserved our resources. Um, well, well, before you go into that, because mm -hmm. I do want to go into that a little bit more, but you went from how many employees? 300, 300. to 35. Who did you keep? Well, um, we were in the largest renovation project in our history. And mm. our board had said, do we need to time that out? And I said, we need to have the theaters back up and operational as soon as we're able to open. And so we have to persevere. And so that was job number one was finishing the renovation. We needed to be able to um, meet uh, children, students, and families, wherever they are, we knew that we were going to be part of the healing mm. of this experience. And so we were meeting kiddos and um, and students of all ages in their living rooms and their bedrooms. Really? Oh, yeah. Who's the, we? We, the DCPA, our education and community engagement team was wow. doing lots and lots of instruction remotely. Come on. Getting little kids up and moving their bodies and seeing other kids on the screen. Um, I know they were burning out on screen time, yeah, but the fact yeah. that they were together and they were singing the Lion King or, you know, whatever it might be. So um, we kept a um, fair number of our education folks and then the basic operations. Yeah. I mean, we have a huge plant and we needed to make sure it was safe. Well, sure. I mean, when you thought about, I can only imagine, over, over what period of time did you make the decision to go from 300 to 35? Was that a a one-hour conversation, or was that a three-hour deliver or a three-day deliberation? How did that? It took probably a couple of weeks to determine who would be furloughed. We did eliminate some positions too. Mm -hmm. If we knew they were going to be out of work for an extended period of time, we yeah. made the decision that that was the best path forward. So, 
Um, when we came back of the folks that had been furloughed, um, we lost 170. Mm. So the comeback mm. was yeah. fast and furious and a very competitive environment um, to really try and um, rebuild this organization. And it's been a challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, like, what, when you're, when you're laying off or letting mm. go that many, does it, does it help in any way to know that it wasn't like mismanagement. It wasn't bad. For, I mean, it was just beyond your control. Well, um, yes. And uh, I think that staying connected to the employees was really important. We so did you did? When you furloughed them, you stayed connected? Walks and talks. And um, we did Zoom meetings every month so folks could hear what we were doing, what mm. we thought our path back would look like, how they could be involved, supporting them if they needed to go to work um, so that they felt like they had... Um, an enter an interim plan and yeah. hoping that they would come back. Yeah. So, um, so I think it's the value you put on them as human beings, um, and then supporting them if they needed to mm. find other employment. Yeah, yeah. Were you you did get grants and things? Mm-hmm. Um, were any of the was were the wages continued for some of these employees, or when they were furloughed, it they was benefit out. they kept the benefits. They kept the but benefits. That was it. Yeah. Was so it. they had to go and find whatever mm-hmm. they needed. Unemployment to. So, for yeah. many. Well, sure. And then a lot of them found gig work, mm-hmm. and then some decided to leave the sector altogether. And I think a lot of folks also realized that they had um, been missing time with family, and so we saw a lot of our folks um, that maybe a two-parent household. Um, stay yeah. home or yeah, go to part-time. We saw, we've seen a lot of that yeah. in the market. Yeah, I think um, people deciding that this is a different way to live now That's and right. one that, they're, that they'd like to do. Um, but you survived and you're still CEO. Yeah, we're and, doing it. You know, so I'm curious about your background because mm-hmm. it includes lots of leadership, including working as chief of staff for Mayor Hancock, but not really in the kind of roles where you're making like no good choice business decisions, right? So <laughs> right. so how did you manage that? Yeah. So what's interesting is when I, um, my first business endeavor was an organization called Colorado Concern, which is uh, um, a lot of CEOs yeah. and leaders of businesses in the state. And in that job, um, I managed up, I managed to the board. And it was a really wonderful experience to learn about everything from real estate to financial services. Services to healthcare. So I had a really um, in-depth look at the businesses that make um, the engine of our state go. And then when I worked for the mayor, we had 13,000 employees, 26 departments, everything from an international yeah. airport to a police department. So I understood managing a very big, diverse, fast-moving organization. And so when this opportunity was presented, I went through a competitive process and I, it's the best job on the mm. planet. I mean, I work with people that tell stories that change people's uh, lives and we engage 150,000 kids a year. Um, we, you know, have a huge usher core, many of whom are retired and they find their artistic mm. home with us. Uh, so yeah. it's a really neat connection to community. So how prepared did you feel? when this whole thing happened. With COVID. Yeah. Uh, No one's prepared. But what I will say is, um, this is a touching story, Navin DeMond, who owns Stonebridge, um, was the chair of our Finance and Facilities Committee. Martin Semple's my board chair. We shut down on Friday, and on Sunday morning, I'm out for a walk, Mm. thinking about what the future holds, and I look down at my phone, and they're calling me. And you never know what that means. Together, they're calling you. That's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, so I answer, and I pull into a little alcove because it was windy where I was walking, and they're like, we just called to say we've got you. 
that we are going to make hard decisions together, but at the end of the day, um, we are in this and we will figure it out and we'll come back strong. And that set the tone for everything. I mean, I think that that's the exemplary leadership that I get to work with each and every day. And I feel incredibly blessed because not only did they support us through philanthropy, our board, Mm -hmm. they also stood with us when we were lobbying Congress for the Shuttered Venue Operator Grant or reaching out to our elected officials saying we don't we need tests. I mean, we're an industry that has to test. We're still yeah. testing because mm-hmm. if actors are um, sick, they can't be on stage and then the shows go down and then yeah. the patrons are disappointed again. So yeah. uh, they have been um, a vital part of our recovery. Okay. Can I ask you this? Cause I'm just wondering actors wearing masks, mm-hmm. performers wearing masks, yeah. Just looks weird to me. Yeah. And we have not ever required the actors in masks. Mm-hmm. We have our teachers right now in masks yeah, because yeah. we have our most vulnerable, the littles that are. But I mean, many yeah. Are yeah. So, I mean, how can you convey emotion mm-hmm. and, and convey what you, you know, it just seems, it almost seems like a separation between yeah. the, the performer and the audience. I don't know. For the teachers, I will tell you, we have 70 that we bring in on the summer. I mean, you know, we'll have 1,500 kids on site this summer. Um, wow. You don't need to see a, a teacher's face. You see their arms going in mm-hmm. every direction, yeah. you know, the way that they enthusiastically speak to the children. It's difficult, but it's not insurmountable. Yeah, it's just the way it has yeah, to be like this for now. that's right. So you're back, you're open. What are you doing now that, you know, that you weren't doing before COVID, but you're like, well, this is better and mm-hmm. we're going to keep doing it. So I would say um, on the back of the house side with our people, I have given a lot of thought to the fact that we have these amazing theater professionals that come in and they work the normal business hours that we all expect them to work. They come in at eight or nine o'clock in the morning. They work all day so they can interface with their peers. They have dinner and then they're back at the theater Mm. at night and on the weekend and they've never had balance. And Mm. I will say if we all learned anything, it's that quality of life matters, work-life balance matters. And so what we have done is we actually have um, two days a week. We're Wednesday, Thursday, common work days. And so folks can live their best life um, and still get their work done. Mm. And then they're still there for evenings and weekends in the theater. And our employee engagement scores are the highest they've ever been. Wow. Yeah, I think yeah. folks are feeling um, appreciated and valued and that we're caring for them. So that's one back of yeah, the house yeah, takeaway. Yeah, yeah. I would say with patrons, um, we are very mindful that folks may have made different decisions with where they put their time. And so if a Broadway subscription package is eight shows or a theater company subscription is eight shows, people may only want to buy four shows. They've gotten really comfortable being home Mm -hmm. and their financial situation may have changed. Um, The way they feel about coming into the city center may have changed. We don't have as many restaurants open downtown as we had in the past. We certainly don't have the workforce in the city center. A lot of folks that would have stayed after work, met a friend for dinner and gone to a show. So I would say the weeknights, I feel very different at the theater. Hmm. So we're really trying to meet each patron where they are and make sure that we don't lose them, but also welcome a lot of new folks at the same time. That's cool. Yeah. a few a few things that I've always wondered about. Now I'm going to indulge myself sure. to ask them. Uh, and maybe it'll be fun, maybe it won't. But here's my <laughs> few questions. Do you weigh in personally on the shows, the mix or any of that? 
I do not. I None? not one Come bit. On. Nope. Here's the deal. That's we like have, your special pass. I know. <laughs> so. But you know, um, it's not that I don't have opinions, and everyone yeah, knows yeah, that. Yeah. But uh, so John Eckerberg, who runs our Broadway division, is a Tony voter. How lucky is Denver to have a Tony wow. voter? He sees every show in New York. Wow. He's on the executive committee of the Broadway League. He's a He's a darling. You go to New York with John, and everybody wants to sit next to John. They want to talk to John. They love to start shows. We just started Moulin Rouge. The national tour started in Denver because I didn't know of John. That. That's yes. cool. Dear Evan Hansen, um, Frozen, uh, The Little Mermaid. So many shows actually launch out of Denver, and they love our audiences. They love our theater. They know that we will sell tickets. We're an enthusiastic artist or audience. But I would say John is. He has the special sauce. Mm. And he's the one that is seeing all the shows and deciding what will land with our community mm. and has what there been, may not. Yeah, is is there? Have you and he disagreed on on things in any way? Like, if he's like, I'm not so sure about that one, or vice versa. Yeah. So, um, have you been wrong, or has he been wrong, and you know, right or whatever? Um, wrong and right is so subjective. Well, is there one you wanted that you did that he's like, no. Oh. Not really. No. no, he, I mean, and again, we get so much opportunity yeah. here. What's interesting on the produced side, on our theater company side, that is where the What's world. What's that mean, produced side? So presenting means let's just use Phantom of the Opera. Oh, Phantom comes. Ha- comes in on 29 semis on a Monday and they load in so that they can go up on stage on Tuesday. They probably have two sets of those trucks too, don't they? Well, 29 trucks. Twenty Right. But I mean, they probably have, well, they're performing in Denver, they probably have another 29 going somewhere else, no? Sure. They'll have, some shows yeah. will have multiple ensembles. Yeah. And wow. so there's different routes. It's like mm-hmm. being an air traffic controller at an airport. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so that's basically what Broadway looks like on a map. Um, so the presented side comes in on a truck and goes up on the stage. We don't have any artistic uh, input at all. Yeah. The produced side is we often are putting up world premieres. That goes back to like the Book of Will um, or Rattlesnake Kate, a world premiere that we just put up mm. this year. Um, And so we pick the director, the casting, we make the um, staging, the sets, the, we pick the musicians, everything is made. It's homemade at the Denver Center. Uh, And so, um, but we do just as many shows. So we generally do eight shows a week um, for the public and often student matinees on top of that for five weeks. So a produced show, we'll see, we'll see at least 40 shows in our theaters. Um, and then again, we hope that they go on somewhere else. Yeah. So that was one of my other questions. So do you go to New York and go places? Do you get to do that I do. and, and yeah. get to enjoy some of that? That's a great perk. I know. How lucky am I? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, it's important for me to understand the business and yeah. not just the um, tactical sure. and administrative side, but the actual functionality and the, you know, it's a very passionate group, a very yeah. mission driven group of folks. And so... Yeah, um, I would imagine that going touring, and you probably don't just go to New York, you probably go mm-hmm. to other cities like Denver, I mean, like, you know, comparable cities right. and such, and, and see how they're operating. 100%. Yeah. 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 It's really exciting. Do you see all your shows? I do. DCP? You do? I oh, sure do. That's great. I know. And so if we have 45 <laughs> titles in a really robust year, it's a lot of theater on top of what we see But it in is New your York. job. So, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Poor hey, me. Yeah, poor you. <laughs> You're listening to Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This is the show featuring entrepreneurs. You could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. This episode is with Janice Sinden, president and CEO of the Denver Center for Performing Arts. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my 
blog, link to sponsors, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. So I want to talk in our last segment here, a couple segments anyway, I want to, uh, about your audience, because mm-hmm. this is what I always assumed. I always assume like there's two audiences. There's the the older wealthy set, and then there's the other, you know, whomever set that don't, you know, don't see as much, don't do as much. But I mean, my preconceived notions are probably wrong. Well, it's a combination, right? Um, there are, we are so fortunate. We have more subscribers than any other theater in the country. We have 30,000. We have about 25,000 Broadway subscribers. That means they have purchased eight tickets. That doesn't mean that's the only number of titles yeah. we do, but they have picked the eight shows we have subscribed 25, to. 25,000 subscribers to eight shows? Uh-huh. That's and, amazing. And then 5,000 to the theater company, the produce wow. side. So that makes up our 30,000. So, um, you know, in a really great year, we'll see almost a million um, people that'll come through uh, the theaters. More folks come to our shows than go to a Broncos game throughout the year, if you can believe it. By the Hmm. numbers, think of how many nights we're running shows. Yeah, but that's only 2,800 seats at most, depending on which venue. Well, we have seven theaters that we're in. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. So when we're we're hustling, Hmm. we're very busy and we have lots and lots of people. So um, so our audiences range. I mean, we love finding the person that just moved to the metro region and we're inviting them to see Quiote Nuevo, or we love people that um, get to see a show one time a year and they'll come with their family and see Moulin Rouge. Um, but then we also have um, wonderful packages um, that do range based yeah. on where where you're seated in the theater, what your price point is. We try to work with everyone. That's cool. And when you think about marketing, too, because mm-hmm. obviously uh, you market um, the DCPA, you market by audience segment, I suppose. You market by show. Mm-hmm. How do you think about marketing those kinds of things. And some shows are so big, you don't even have, like when Hamilton came to town, right. I saw advertising, but you really didn't need to. That's right. Yeah. It's a, it's a, um, it's kind of magic. Uh, they are doing a lot. Our marketing team is doing a lot of market segmentation research and talking to patrons. Yeah. They're also talking to folks that have never joined us to understand why and what would it take for us to get them there. So technology is super important. So if you, Dave, went on the website and you clicked on something, but you didn't buy a ticket, we might tease you back. Mm-hmm. We'll be like, we saw that you were looking at tickets to this show. Um, what if we gave you a discount ticket? doesn't always happen. Yeah. But if you have been there a few times and you're looking at something, um, you know, and then we're also trying to figure out how we have folks that may not have hardly any resources. They might come to a final dress rehearsal instead of Mm. a full production. Um, We do have scholarships um, for Mm. our theater for young audience, which is for little kids. We make sure that we don't turn anyone away. Getting back to this, I mean, do you tend to market more towards the brand of DCPA kind of like network student, you know, like, I don't care what CBS or NBC has, right. But I care about the actual product and, mm-hmm. or do you tend to spend more on, on an audience connection or on particular shows that you want to market to specific audiences? Where do you see it's yourself It's a combination targeting? of both. It really is. Um, it, you know, cause some folks, they just love it all. Yeah. Even if they hate it, they love it, you know, because then they have something to talk about. They're like, I saw this show and they were oh, like, oh, my like gosh. Like cats. If it ever yeah. comes, I can't wait to not go. Right. <laughs> so. And we had it three years ago and it was gangbusters. And I'm then we sure had it, it. We just had it again and it didn't sell as well. And so it also goes to show how the market changes. Book of Mormon started yeah. here. You know, it's oh, this, really? Oh, yeah. South Park folks are from here. and yeah. over. But we can land that show sometimes for eight weeks and it'll mm. sell so well. Yeah. It's like you're saying, then you just really don't have to market it. It's a fan 
favorite and people will come back. Yeah. Now, so what is the difference between the kinds of shows that we'd have in Denver versus what, what would come to New York or mm-hmm. Omaha? Uh, not much. Honestly, on the presented side, they're traveling across the country and audiences love it. What you'll find in New York, I'm going to use an example like The Strange Loop that just won the best musical, um, uh, uh, Tony. It's a confusing one. The content is, um, is, uh, provocative and there's a lot of conversation about can it land in a subscription season in Mm -hmm. a community like ours. And so those are some of the challenges that you face is what are audiences ready for? And if somebody goes to New York and chooses to buy that ticket, that's different than us putting it in their package and they're trusting that what we put in there will land with most people. Well, let me push back on that. You said whether an audience is ready for something. What if an audience just doesn't want it or like it? I mean, and then they'll not... probably give their tickets away. That's usually yeah. what'll happen is by word of mouth. If yeah. they're not interested in something or it feels like it is out of their comfort zone, yeah. they may just give the tickets yeah. away. Yeah. Um, what What do you see for like trends? I mean, and, and as far in fact, I'm just going to jump right into this one because it seems like there are a bunch of new sort of freestanding for profit sort of I guess I'll put in quotes cultural cultural options, mm-hmm. things like that are moving to city, like Meow Wolf, right. these moving, dis- moving exhibits like Immersive Van Gogh or the Art of Banksy, you know, these all, do, do you think they portend sort of where we're going with culture? Do you have to compete mm-hmm. with those kinds of things or is that just new and more? I think there's always room. Um, I believe that people love more, more, more. That's part of why Denver is such a wonderful um, arts and culture community. Um, so we actually have an immersive line called Off Center. Uh, Charlie Miller is doing a project right now with David Byrne from the Talking Heads. Um, and it is amazing. And it is that it challenges every definition of traditional theater. We're putting the audience in the center of the show. They're having an experience. Um, I need to in, go to that. Yes, yeah, and I'll yeah. make sure that you get those uh, tickets. Uh, but it, it's, you know, and we did Van Gogh Alive. There was immersive Van Gogh and Van Gogh Alive. We had 80,000 people, 83,000 yeah. people yeah. came to yeah. it. It, it speaks to folks, you know, mm-hmm. if you can, if you're uncomfortable in a, maybe a traditional museum environment, but you can go and be exposed to what the complete works of Van Gogh was in a 45 minute period with yeah. absolutely stunning music. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. So yeah. I think that the demand proves that people have an appetite yeah. for it and we need to respond to that. So it, it sounds like what you're saying is that you really have to be open. Mm-hmm. You really have to be creative and you know, sure, Broadway shows are fun and everybody loves them. It's just that that's not going to be enough, is it? Yeah. I mean, that's why some folks love, um, you know, outdoor recreation and some folks love, you know, um, the history Colorado. And, you know, there's there are so many wonderful assets in our community. And I think um, meeting somebody where they is, especially for the first time, yeah. and then figuring out how you bring them back time over time is our is our yeah. responsibility. Yeah, but it sounds like you have such a generous spirit. Mm, thank you. Do you ever have the board saying, how are we going to compete? You know, do you ever, I mean, yeah. you're still in a competitive world and sure. the pie does seem to be getting bigger yeah. and it's still only so big. 
Yeah, I think the challenges that um, the um, the DCPA board puts in front of me and our um, staff is really making sure we're not leaving anybody behind. I mean, making sure that it really feels like it's an inclusive place, an accessible place, and therein lies a challenge. It has been a predominantly white audience, a predominantly white-led organization, and so as we continue to figure out how to um, welcome all um, aspects of our community... Yeah. Is um, where the board pushes us the most. Yeah, and and I suppose that's part of the evolution of DCPA. What sure. else is? Where else do you think you're evolving? Um, you know, making sure we have a continuum of offerings. Uh, until I got to the DCPA six years ago, we didn't have a show for little children. Hmm. And Allison Watrous, our executive director of education, had come to me and said, many theaters have theater for young audience. We start at three, Hmm. three years old. Hmm. So it is amazing when you see a child and you start them that early. So that is also something that is really new for us as it isn't just, you know, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and very adult content. Hmm. Um, And it isn't the big blockbusters like um, Book of Mormon, Wicked, Hamilton. It's also a 45 minute story you know, Mm. the snowy day with a three-year-old that says, that's amazing. And the book that they'd read with their parents before bed is now on stage and it just is transformative. Sounds really gratifying. Yeah. Yeah. Super wonderful. Uh, What, what's next? Like, how do you evolve Mm -hmm. continually? What are you excited about as far as what, like, as you, as you look forward, Mm -hmm. what makes you most excited about what you're seeing? Yeah, so I love the collaborative spirit of our community. Um, what I see more and more is the relationship, whether it's um, Sue Teatro and the Denver Center or the Aurora Fox and our, you know, Arvada. Um, I think what we're seeing is the family of artists in our community and how we honor and respect the difference in what we do, but yet that we're part of a collective. And I'm um, also giving a lot of support to our artistic community. I mean, it is hard to be an artist. You know, it is hard to find your artistic home. And so and to make a living and to make a living. Yeah. So this is the conversation. There was an article in the New York Times this week about pay equity for artists. Mm. And what are we going to do to take care of these folks, you know, that make these beautiful, magical things happen on stage? We need to support them off stage. Mm. Mm. Is that is that possible? I mean, sure isn't is. the starving artist the part of the the romance of what you do not for them maybe not for them i mean i think it's mythical um that that was ever acceptable and i think that there is a accountability culture that um has really risen and they have gotten more vocal and rightfully so Mm -hmm. um and so i think that we must respond um or the field is in jeopardy and so uh, you know, there is only so much revenue. And yeah. when I talk about how much revenue we have, a lot of it isn't even ours, right? We Our gross revenue might be 70 plus million dollars a year. Um, our economic impact may be $130 million a year, but that doesn't mean it's our money to, um, to necessarily yeah. control. So we have to make good choices. 
Well, say something happy as we wrap up. Something happy. Um, you know, we uh, had this little girl who was in one of the education programs, and she was about three years old, and she was um, talking to one of the teachers, and she was like, I've got this song in my brain, in my brain. And, you know, and then she goes home, and I'm sure she brings it to, you know, her grandparents and siblings and whoever, you know, she lives with and her community. And, and it's the joy. You know, this has been probably the hardest couple of years any of us will experience in a lifetime. And when you see these children that can take a song home and hopefully feel uh, that the world is not as heavy as the rest of us may, um, that's pretty, pretty special. Cool. You okay if we wrap up on that? Absolutely. Thank Good. you so much. Yeah. Hey, I'm your host, Dave Tabor. Today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Janice Sinden, president and CEO of the Denver Center for Performing Arts. It's been fun catching up. Thank you. I agree. Yeah. And what what great stories of, of you know, working through that. Yeah. Tough, tough. Thank you. But I'm glad you did. Thank you. Appreciate your support. Listeners, glad you're here on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast. And if you haven't yet, it's a huge help if you submit a review in your app. Thanks again to our show sponsors, Kinsley Meetings, Via Technologies, and Colorado Biz Magazine. That's a wrap. Live, work, love Colorado. Thanks, Janice. Thank you. All right. That was fun. It was fun.